uh, we always begin with prayer and, uh, and we stand uh, uh, out of a sense of worship and awe for our God. So let's stand together as the body of Christ in this place and let's pray. Holy Father, we, uh, we thank you, O Lord, as we feel the coolness of the uh, evening yesterday. We were reminded of your love and care for us. Uh, though there is the great heat of summer, uh, we tolerate it, and, uh, and some, some of us enjoy it. And Father, then the cooler nights come, and we're reminded that uh, uh, throughout the year, Lord, you, you send the rain to water our gardens. Uh, you bring up the sun, Father, to, uh, uh, to bring about nature's wonders. And, and Father, uh, you send us uh, uh, times of relief. It's the same in our lives, Lord, that uh, we go through different seasons of our life. We go through times uh, where we are uh, going through uh, valleys of sorrow, uh, times where we are walking through that valley of the shadow of death. But, Lord, you are with us all the way. We thank you for your grace that abides with us. And today, as we study your word and we see, Father, how your word laid out the plan for the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Father, how, how uh, historical evidence uh, lays a foundation and basis for belief. But Father, there's a difference simply between belief and faith. We pray that our belief would be strong and would be fortified by what we learned this morning. But we also pray, Father, for faith, which is trust. That we will trust in you, the God of the ages, the God of Israel, the God of Jesus, the God, Father, who uh, has established the church. Father, this day as we sing your praises and pray to you, we pray that our hearts would be yours. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray as we worship you in song, and amen. Please join me in reading the prayer for guidance. Lord, open, open our, our hearts, hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, Spirit that, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Acts fourteen eight through 20. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand on your feet. The man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done... They shouted in the Lycaonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We, too, are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. 
Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Pam. Uh, this message was a little bit of a change-up from what I had planned back earlier in the summer. I decided to go ahead and preach on evidence that demands a verdict because we're going to be having a class starting on the 11th called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. This, uh, the book that this is based on by Josh McDowell has actually been around um, uh, my copy I've had uh, 1977. So I've had this copy for a long time. It has some stains. It looks like hot chocolate stains because I don't drink coffee on it. But uh, uh, it's a very in, uh, interesting study, and it is actually an idea that goes back as far as our faith has gone back, the idea of what's known as apologetics, which is a word not saying that we're apologizing for our faith, but it, it's, it's saying that we believe that there are foundational reasons to defend our faith. It's a defense of the faith. So... Um, uh, the importance of this, I think, sometimes is lost upon us. And the longer we are believers in Christ or members of the church, we might lose sight of how important it is that we have a knowledge of the proofs of those things that say uh, that uh, Jesus is the Christ, not only because we have this feeling in our heart, a warm place in our heart that tells us this. You know, we have sometimes some songs that will speak of it sort of like, you know, you know I know that he... He lives, and, and, uh, but it's all personal. But are there places in the scriptures that give us evidence? Are there places in nature that give us evidence? Are there uh, evidences, for instance, uh, one of the things that we'll study here uh, before I get uh, into the message this morning, one of the things that we'll be studying is, the, uh, is how the Bible has been brought through over the centuries uh, if you go back into ancient times, for instance, Aristotle, everybody knows Aristotle. How many of you doubt Aristotle lived? He ever existed? We all take it for granted Aristotle lives. But there's, there's like four copies, ancient copies, of Aristotle's works. And three of them are copies long after he had died. And then one is still way after he had died, but somebody had just written it down and copied. We don't have any original manuscripts of Aristotle. Uh, Julius Caesar is barely mentioned in any ancient works that we have. Uh, many, many of the things that we take for granted existed. The only copies we have of histories that mention of them were, were uh, copies that are a thousand years after they lived. And yet we have no problem believing in, in these historical people. And, uh, but when it comes to Jesus Christ, you hear people say, oh, I just don't think he existed. I don't think the Bible, you know, is, is real. And it was just, you know, copies made and this, that, and the other. But you can go back and find, like, copies of Isaiah that are long before Jesus was born. And they are word for word what we have in Isaiah, if you go back to the original, to the Hebrew manuscripts, they're word for word what we have today. They haven't been changed or altered. And you can go back and find parts of the New Testament in the, in the uh, uh, right around 100 A.D., so uh, well within uh, 
being there in that first century church. And then in the second century, in 100 to 200, you have an entire uh, copies of every book that make up our current New Testament. Now, the New Testament wasn't formally organized until, until after that, but all the books that are in it, we had copies of those that we have today. Whereas you go to other ancient works, none of them have. I mean, there are thousands of copies of books of the New Testament from ancient times. No other uh, work of literature, no, no other book comes even close to that. It is the most attested to ancient work in human history. And yet people will doubt. Do we really have the original? But experts will tell you, yes, it's obvious that we do have the original work. So that's on the text of the Bible. That's one of the areas we'll we'll look at. But today we're just going to focus on Jesus Christ and who he was. Uh, Paul in our uh, scripture here, in our scripture passage that Pam read from, from Acts, uh, he goes into a place, it's interesting, he heals a man, and it tells you something about human nature. And the crowd sees this healing, they're amazed by it, and they immediately adapt what they know, their cultural beliefs, and they slap them onto Paul and Barnabas, and say they must be gods, you know, Jupiter, and they, you know, they, they assign them, and they say these are, these are our gods. And Paul is like, he's, he's, he's in terror because this is not what he came to do, to prop up their old gods. So, in, so they rip their clothes to show how serious they are. They start rendering their clothes. And then he says, he says, you know, I'm here to talk to you about the good news. We came to bring good news to you. And for them, this would be a new God. And so he starts out, Paul always does this. He starts out on the basis of where they would be at. The one thing all human beings have in common common is we experience the weather and so he said the God I want to talk to you about is attested to by the fact that the rain falls from heaven the grace of God sending upon you the rain that we all share this is the God I want to talk to you about not a local God there were local gods but but the God of all creation I want to talk to you about him he did this on uh, Mars Hill when he was in Athens and he says, he says, you have an idol over here to the unknown God. I'm here to talk to you about that unknown God, the God you do not know. He starts where they're at, and then he begins, because they don't know the Old Testament. They don't know the story of Moses. They don't know the story of Adam and Eve. So he has to start someplace. And then he begins to build it, and eventually he'll take them into the Word as he familiarizes them with the Word. So we see this pattern in Paul. But where I wanted to go this morning was a pattern that we see established by Jesus. It's very interesting. In Luke chapter 24, many of you may know the story of the walk to Emmaus. And uh, when uh, there are two men, uh, Cleopas and, and, and an unnamed disciple of Jesus Christ, are walking along the road. It happens to be the day of Christ's resurrection. And they are walking from Jerusalem out to a village. It's about seven miles away from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And as they're going along, a traveler joins in beside them. They don't know who this person is. And in fact, it says in the account, it says that his identity was hidden from them. And he began to ask them, what are you talking about? And they said, well, are you new to Jerusalem? Are you not aware of the stupendous things that are, have been happening there in Jerusalem? The, you know, it was big news uh, and this man didn't seem to know it. He asked, asked, he says, no, tell me, tell me what's going on. So they go on, and they have a lot of information. They talk about Jesus, you know, he was a, he was a wise man, he was a prophet, he was all these things, and we had had hopes for him. 
We had had hopes that he was the promised one. But they crucified him. They beat him and they crucified him. And it says in the account that they, they were downcast. Their heads were down. They were, they were depressed. They were, they were in, in grief and sorrow because this one who they had so uh, trusted in was dead. And then they say, and then, and then what's more, we were, we were startled this morning to hear from some of the women associated with our group that they had gone to the grave and he was not in it. And they said that they, they encountered him, that he had risen. And, you know, we don't know what to do with all this. So they're having a hard time believing this because how could the Messiah be crucified? How could the Messiah be crucified and raised from the dead? What does all this mean? And then Jesus goes on through and begins to methodically, it says he takes for the whole walk. They're walking the whole day, and the whole day he is opening up the scriptures to them. Now, it doesn't mean he had a Bible there to open up, but he knows the word. He is the living word, so he knows the word well, and he knows the stories. And I imagine he began in one of the, there are 48 major places in scripture where there uh, is a, uh, a prophecy of Jesus. And Jesus fulfills every one of those 48 prophecies. You know, uh, he, uh, he would have gone back to Adam and Eve in the garden and how after the fall, God gave this promise that one day um, the, seed of the, uh, uh, the seed of Eve would uh, crush the head of the serpent, meaning the serpent had tempted them and, and brought evil into the world, but that the serpent's head would be crushed by one who was to come from her seed. And then you go on and you can go to Abraham, how all the world, uh, how all the nations of the world would be blessed through his seed, through the seed of Israel. And then, and then you go to, to Moses, and Moses is saying, one day there's going to come someone, a greater prophet than I am, who will free his people. And just as Moses had freed them from chains to slavery, uh, Jesus came to free us from the, from the change and the slavery of sin. And he would go on and on, and he'd go into Isaiah where they talk about, uh, about how the Messiah would be uh, spit on and beat and, and whipped and hung and, 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 and die a terrible death. There's even a, a, the prediction that he would, uh, he would uh, be with thieves in this death. Psalm 22 gives a graphic description of what Jesus went through. So Jesus is going to share all these things with them. And he says, you know, you're being foolish. Why are you so blind? Why can you not see? And, you know, that's a good question for all of us. We, we come to this point. I apologize for my mic. It wants to slip down, and I can't, I can't control it. It has a life of its own. And I realize if it goes down too much, you can't hear me well. Um, so the question is, uh, why could they not see? It's interesting that Jesus could have shown, just shown them his hands and his feet. They knew he'd been crucified. He's shown those fresh wounds and the scars. But he didn't do that. That would have been a quick way to do this. Why did he have to give them a history lesson? I believe it's because it is important that we all know, even if we have seen Jesus physically as they, as they later realized that they did, but we need to see how everything connects because we can become oblivious how God works in, in, in history, how he works in our lives, how he answers prayers. We just are blind to it. They've done studies. It's, it's interesting. Human nature uh, very often uh, will blind us to things that are right in front of us. Have you ever been with somebody and you saw something and you said, did you see that? And they said, no. How could you miss that? How could you not see that? Or have you ever 
driven up and down the road here and there's been a building under construction for a few weeks and you say to your spouse when you get home, boy, they're really coming along on that building and your spouse doesn't know what you're talking about. They've been driving the same road every day, but they've never seen it, you know? We kind of get tunneled visioned and we don't see things. They have done studies where they have uh, asked people, they've put them in a big arena and they've said, okay, what we want you to do is spend all your time uh, during this game. We want you to count, try and count how many people have red shirts on. So the people are there and they're focused on red shirts. And then during the game, they, they will have at halftime or something, they'll have a, a, somebody in a gorilla suit run right in front of the row. And these people are so focused. And later on, they'll say, what did you think of the gorilla that ran right in front of you? What gorilla? They didn't see it. You see, because we could become blinded to things, both these men on the road to, uh, on the road to Emmaus and us, we can become blind to things and be, things become oblivious uh, to us and we don't see it going on. Uh, and, and that's what Jesus is dealing with. How does he get them to see that the scriptures that they have known all their lives really do paint a picture of the Messiah that matches up with Jesus? See, that was a big thing for them to have to uh, accept. And then Peter on the day of Pentecost, what is he going to do? He's going to preach a sermon. We have uh, you know snippets of the sermon there in Acts chapter 2. And at the end of the sermon... These people who all their lives, who, who had actually called for Jesus to be crucified, who all their lives had seen the Messiah in one way, suddenly Peter, when he quotes the scriptures to them, when he lays out the Old Testament to them, they go, oh my goodness, we just crucified the Son of God. And they cry out, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? Is there any way that forgiveness can come to people who have done this horrific act? And so this, this dependence upon the Scripture is so important that Jesus wants them to know from the Scriptures, not from the scars on his hands, but from the Scriptures, who he is. Does anybody remember the movie Canadian Bacon? Very few people do. John Candy, yes. John Candy, American patriot with a group of his buddies in a bar in Buffalo. They see on the TV that the Canadians are amassing troops at the border to invade the United States. Can you believe it? It's a hoax. The president's poll is down, and he's trying to figure out a way to rally Americans. People in a crisis are going to be more likely to support the president. And so he creates this crisis. They put PSAs, public service announcements, on the TV. You remember in the old days, back when the Soviet Union existed, and way back in the 50s, I I don't remember that exactly, but I've seen the little movies where they had uh, the red tide moving across the map and taking over Europe. The red color would go over it. Well, in this movie... Movie, they had the uh, uh, the maple syrup tied, and it was it was a map with Canada up above us, and and then the United States, and the maple syrup came down. We were going to be taken over by Canada. So John Candy and his buddies they steal a truck and they paint and they paint uh, graffiti all over it with anti-Canadian things. They've got all these anti-Canadian accusations on it, and they go over into Canada. Now we all know that Canadians are the nicest people in the world, right? It's really hard to tick them off, to get them angry. And so they go over there, and here comes a Canadian uh, Mountie patrolman. And he stops them. They're like, yeah, man, he's going to give it to us. This is where it all starts. This is going to spark the fight against the Canadians. And the patrolman comes over and says, "Uh, um, I just noticed that uh, your graffiti, which, by the way, is very well done, 
good spelling and all too, but it's only in English. And in Canada, we like to do it in English and French. So uh, uh, I will provide you with the translation from the English into the French, and then he even gives them the spray can to do it with. <laughs> and then he thanks them and bids them on their way. He was oblivious to the fact that they were trying to tick him off to make him angry. And that is something I think that is, is a huge problem in our world is, in the scriptures mention this sometime, that they were blinded. They were oblivious. They didn't get it. And so part of what we do when we present the gospel is to get, present it in such a way that like the closing argument in a, in, a, in, a, in a case where the lawyer stands up and he takes all the evidence, puts it together, and then tries to allow the jury to see if we look at all this evidence together, you should see that my client is, is innocent or guilty. So uh, that is what Jesus has tried to do. That's what Paul would try to do. That's what uh, the study, what we're going uh, to try to do there. Some, some of the uh, evidences, there are, I, I mentioned 48 major uh, texts in the Old Testament that talk about what Jesus would go through, uh, that he would be... Um, that he would be rejected, that he would be tried and condemned, that he would be pierced and wounded, that he would be considered a criminal, uh, that he would uh, uh, pray for criminals uh, in his death, that he would have no broken bones. Remember, they don't break his bones at the end because uh, uh, with the Sabbath, I won't get into all the reasons for that, but that had been predicted, um, that he would be silent before his accusers. Remember before, uh, before Pilate, you know, he doesn't, he just stands there like a sheep, the words aren't coming out. He would heal the blind and preach to the poor, and he would die for the sins of Israel and the world. All these things were predicting it, and they couldn't see it. They were oblivious to what Jesus was doing. Why? Because they had created their own image of what the, the kingdom was going to be like and what the Messiah would be like. They had him more as a, as a great general on a war horse who would come down kill all the Romans, kill all the enemies of Israel, reestablish the kingdom of Israel, bring everybody in, give them all, you know, uh, uh, wealth and glory. Uh, the, uh, the disciples were always uh, arguing about who got to sit next to, to Jesus when the kingdom came in. They wanted to be in the places of power. They were so fixated and so all their hopes were so centered on that vision of the kingdom that when Jesus came and gave a very different vision, they couldn't see it. And it wasn't until they actually went back and looked at the word again that they realized, oh, you know, the vision of the Old Testament, the vision of the scriptures is that the the Messiah would come, would die on the cross, would be resurrected. And so they had to see that through, through God's word. So that's what we're trying to do in this class is to get us back to that point where uh, it's one thing to have blind faith. It's another thing to have uh, a faith that, that you can take and you can go to somebody who has no faith and you can begin to build some sort of foundation that, where they will even consider Jesus Christ, where they even uh, come to believe, uh, believe in him because they live in a world where people are constantly telling them that, that he's a myth and he's not. He's not. One last thing I'll share with you that's in the study, and that is a look at, uh, this drives me crazy all the time. Uh, we, Lydia and I were actually sitting with some folks at a table yesterday, and I overheard the man talking about how he, he was a Buddhist and he was given some uh, kind of a, 
explanation, and he said, you know, uh, Buddha lived 500 years before Jesus, and he he came up with the golden rule, and uh, Jesus kind of stole it from him, and this, that, and the other, and he's talking, and I, you know, I'm trying to be, you know, don't don't get into this here. You know, it was this woman's 80th birthday, and I didn't want to fight to break out, and tables overturned. And so, uh, but here's the thing. We don't argue about the existence of Buddha. You know, we, we accept, okay, there was this man, and he, he was a great philosopher. He had wisdom. A lot of good things there. Muhammad, as, as, as sometimes prejudiced as we are against Islam, he had some things not so good, but he also had some good things. He had some things about helping the poor, and, you know, he had some good things. Now, he's 500 years after Jesus. But neither Buddha nor Muhammad ever had anybody predict their life. Never, nobody before they were born said, one day there is going to come onto the earth a person who will do what Buddha did. You know, who told us how Buddha was going to live, how he was going to die, anything beyond that. He just came onto history and that was it. Same with Muhammad. Christianity is the only faith, and I differentiate between religions and faiths, and uh, we are, in some ways, things that we do classify us as religion, but at the same time, we are unique in that we are about a person and a relationship with that person, uh, that we believe God became incarnate and came into the world. There are very unique things about Christianity that differentiate us from the others. And so when I hear people say, oh, all religions are the same, what I'll say is, but you know, you are insulting Buddhism. You're insulting uh, the unique things that Islam might bring. You're insulting uh, the unique things that Hinduism might think might bring. And you are certainly insulting the, the faith of Christians who have a faith centered upon this person and the other religions don't, you know, Islam recognizes him as a great prophet. They actually honor Jesus, but they don't believe he was the son of God. They don't believe that he uh, was resurrected, that, you know, they, they deny many of the things that we believe. So there are these differences. We need to recognize that. But what makes Jesus Christ unique is that he claimed to be God. And scriptures written centuries before he are born, he was born, predicted the very things that happened in his life. And there is a beauty and a symmetry and a poetry to the life of Jesus that no other person in history has had. And if we go to the scriptures and have our eyes open like these two men on the on the road to Emmaus, it's it's incredible that we have a faith that doesn't require us to just believe. Uh, because that's how we were raised. But it says you have the opportunity to believe in somebody who gave you evidence of who he was through the prophets long before he was ever born on this earth. So I hope, you know, if you want to be part of that class, like I said, it's, I, I don't want to turn my adver- uh, this into an advertisement, but we'd love to have you. Uh, be part of that that class. We'll have the books next week, by the way, for those who have signed up. So they'll have them before the first class. But uh, uh, evidence that demands a verdict. Uh, the question is, are you willing to sit down with the evidence to go through it and to come to a conclusion? Or do you simply uh, uh, live out a life of rejecting it because it's just not something you're interested in? Or accepting it because it's just the way you were raised. 
I think, uh, you know, the, the examined life is important. The examined faith is important, too. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, in that class. Um, anybody like, uh, I'll end with this, anybody like the uh, cartoon uh, Calvin and Hobbes? Anybody know that cartoon, little cartoon? There's one time when um, uh, Calvin has climbed up a big step ladder and he's going to dive into a kiddie pool, just one of those little wading pools there. Obviously, disaster about to happen. And Hobbes yells up to him. He says, you better hurry because your mom's yelling something out of the window. Uh, and so you better hurry. You know, and what mom is, is yelling is, you're about to break your neck, you know. Uh, so our prayer this morning, my prayer this morning is that we would hear the voice of Jesus, that we wouldn't uh, be oblivious to it. We wouldn't ignore it, but that we would listen to his voice calling us home. As we leave uh, this morning, don't forget to pick up your brains at the door. They've been labeled, so you even know who they belong to, because in the church you are supposed to check your brains at the door, right? It's all about blind faith, right? Is I, that's one of the things I love about our faith in Jesus Christ is, is it doesn't require us to take the, the most valuable thing that God has given us as far as our body is the brain. Why would he give us brains if he didn't want us to use them? So as you go out this morning, uh, use uh, your brain, your senses and all to see the wonderful world that God has created around us. Uh, go into his word and read the story, the great, great story of a God who from that day of creation had you in mind and want you to come home and be with him someday. Go in his peace, and amen.